there are times when when you when as a minister or as a preacher you try to get your hands around a particular thought or a subject and the more you try the more difficult it is to do that and for I don't know the last several weeks I have been trying to get my hands around what I want to share with you tonight and I still don't feel like I have it and so I'll tell you up front if I mess up tonight I'll just come back next Wednesday and we'll try it again and we'll keep trying until I I get it right but I feel so compelled to talk to you a little while from the book of Romans the sixth chapter my brother who is quite a scholar and especially and the Greek language understands the text a lot more than I do is here and so if I get stuck tonight brother I may just call on you to come up here and get me unstuck how about that <laughs> kind of like that um, that professor that uh, Jerry Clower told about that was going all over the nation and he was giving this great speech about um, some particular subject and uh, his chauffeur had taken him all over the country and he had heard him give that speech countless times and finally on one road trip the the the, the uh, chauffeur said you know uh, sir I, I think I could give that I could give that speech as good as you could and and uh, he said oh you you do he said yeah I've heard you give it I know it word for word verbatim he said, well, I'll tell you what. The professor said, I'll tell you what. This next college we're going to, they don't know me. They've never seen me. They don't know what I look like, what I sound like. And so we're going to change places. I'm going to put on your clothes. You're going to put on mine. And we're going to go in there, and we're going to let you give the speech. And so they went into the college, and, and the guy got up, the chauffeur got up, and he gave the speech. And it was perfect. I mean, the emotion, everything. And at the end, they stood and gave him a standing ovation. And, I mean, it was just one of those moments, those wow moments. He did such an impressionable job. And so when it was all settled down, everybody had kind of quietened down, the chancellor of the college stepped to the podium and he said, Well, you know, I see we have a few minutes left in our time here. Uh, before we have to dismiss all of you students to go back to your classes. So why don't we just have a little question and answer period and we'll allow you to ask the professor a question. And so an egghead in the back of the, had glasses, you know, an inch thick and books under both arms stood up and he, he said, you know, professor, uh, and he goes into this long spill about uh, if if a carcass died a billion years ago and and, and decayed and went into the earth and, and uh, decomposed and became part of the earth. And then uh, a, a million years later or however long, they drilled down. They were drilling for oil and they drilled down through that, uh, that remains of that carcass. And, and he said, when they pulled those remains out, what would be the pH factor? And he named off two or three other things. And, and then he sat down, and it was just quiet in that auditorium. And that professor stood there for a moment. He said, you know, of all the places I've ever been, that is the most ridiculous question that I have ever been asked. I have never been so insulted by such a simple question. And just to show you how simple it is, I'm going to ask my chauffeur who is in the back of the building to answer that question for you. So my chauffeur is here tonight. <laughs> Not really. He's the driver. Amen. I think all of this started weeks ago when I, I, I spoke to you about first things. And I don't know how many of you remember that. Uh, I don't know how long y'all remember sermons or messages around here. I hope you remember them longer than just the night. But if, if you remember earlier in the year, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I spoke to you about first things. Things that God called first. And when God calls something first, it's first. Now we sometimes 
can get mixed up in life and we say this is more important than that. But when God said that's number one, then we ought to sit up and pay attention and take notice of what he says or he calls first things. And so I started doing a study. I went through the scripture at, and I looked and studied so many things that are referenced in scripture as first. Uh, and it was interesting to say the least. One of the first things that I didn't talk to you about that I probably should have was found in 1 Corinthians 15 and 3 when Paul talked about what he first preached to the church. And he preached the message that he preached, the first message, and with it being first, it was significant that uh, it was above everything else and the priority of the message was, uh, was understood by him calling it first. What I preached to you at first was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. That was the first message. Whatever else that they had learned, whatever else they had been taught, whatever else that Paul had admonished them with, these were the essential beliefs, the first things. First, death, burial, resurrection. And nothing can circumvent that. Nothing can replace that. Programs, professionalism, rituals, new learning, greater revelation. There is no greater revelation than first things. And Paul said that you should know that I preached among you first of all the death, burial, resurrection. Wouldn't you think if you had never heard me before and I wanted to establish my credibility among you that the first thing that I said to you would be very important and you would hang on to that. And so the first thing that Paul preached and he taught people was about the death, burial, and resurrection and how that event and how that affected and how that impacted our lives and how it relates to us and how we in turn relate to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And so he established the priority of the message. And I come tonight to remind you that it should never become secondary. We should never allow the message of the death, burial, and resurrection, and that is repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Spirit. We should never allow that to become a secondary doctrine or issue in the church. Paul said, these are the things that I preached first among you. We need to stress it more and more. And we need to understand what happens when we are born again. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir tonight. And I know that uh, most of you have been living for God for a long time. But we've had a lot of new people receive the Holy Ghost recently. And I believe we're going to have many, many more that are going to come into the church in time to come. And it's important that we go back and understand again what it is that happened to us and what transpired when we are born again, what all uh, is connotated by that particular event and that particular happening in our life. I read the story recently about a gardener who came one day in his travels by uh, a particular road, and there growing in the ditch was an old briar. And um, the gardener saw the briar and decided uh, that he was going to take it home with him. And so one day the gardener in passing by, he brought his shovel and, uh, uh, and he dug up around the briar and he lifted it up out of the ground and started to take it with him. And the briar thought to itself, so... A briar is thinking, what is he doing this for? Why is he digging me up? Does he not know that I am just a worthless old briar? 
And so the, the gardener took the briar to his home and took it out into his beautiful garden and planted it among his flowers and his roses. And as the gardener was planting the briar, the briar thought again, what a mistake he's making. If he only knew what I was, what a mistake he is making planting an old briar like me among such roses and flowers as these. But the gardener planted it and he watered it and he fertilized it and he nurtured it. And then one day the gardener came by with his sharp knife and he made a slit in the briar and he engrafted in to that slit a rose uh, stem. And he bound it up and he continued to fertilize and water. And by and by when the summertime came, that old briar that was growing in a ditch was now full of lovely roses and blooming in a beautiful way. And as the briar contemplated what had happened, the gardener spoke to it and said, Your beauty is not due to that which came out of you, but to that which I put in you. That's where the beauty comes from. The beauty of a life that is born again is not in what God takes away from us. Our sin, our bad habits, our evil nature and our evil way of living. But it is what he engrafts into us that makes our life beautiful. And that happens at that new birth experience. And so Paul is writing to the Roman Christians, and he is writing to them to help them understand what has happened to them when they were born again and when they became children of the Lord. And so when you read the book of Romans, it is very deep, it is very detailed, and it's easy to get bogged down in some of Paul's reasoning. But I, I want to try to simplify it a little bit tonight, if I can, and I want to take you to the sixth chapter where Paul is trying to describe what has happened to us as a born again child of God. That when we are born again, when we go through that death, burial, resurrection experience in our life, that this is what happens to us. And so let me begin reading at verse number 1. And I'm going to read down through verse number 12 for the sake of time. And it reads like this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were, or into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Everybody say likewise. Reckon 
ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse number 13, let me just throw this in for good measure. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from, from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And everybody said, Amen. Quite a lengthy reading and quite a heavy reading, but I believe that uh, it is imperative that we understand what Paul is uh, talking about. He is contrasting two things. Talking about the old life, the life that was, the life of sin, and now the new life, the life that is resurrected, the life that is empowered. And he uses the analogy of baptism to bring that point to, to, to our minds. And he talks about uh, how all of this transpired. And I go back to verse number 3. He said, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him. Uh, here again is that death, burial, resurrection message. He talks about we died, we are buried, and then we rise to walk in a newness of life. And he, he, he contrasts the old life with the new life of the child of God. The life of the person who is now born again of the water and of the spirit. And he, he defines for us, he describes for us what has transpired. Now some of the things that he talks about in the beginning of chapter 6, he uses the word know. I, I don't know how many of you, uh, if, if it dawned on you, but he used the word know several times. Verse number 3, he said, know you not. And then he goes on and, and a little further, he uses that word again, that, that you know these things. There, there's a certain knowledge, there's a certain factual basis to what I'm talking to you about. And so he is comparing this new life to the old life. And, and, and basically he is talking about that when we are born again, when we go through that process of repentance, and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord comes into our life. That we are literally leaving a country where sin was sovereign. We leave a way of life where sin ruled. And we move into a new country where the Spirit rules in our life. And we pick up and we move out of that old house and we quit living there anymore and we quit being influenced by or we ought to be uh, ought to quit being influenced by those things and when we went underwater uh you you went you went down in that grave you went into that water and when you went into that you were leaving one country and when you came up out of that water you were entering into a new country everybody with me so far the death, burial, and resurrection. When you came up out of that watery grave, you came up in a newness of life. You came up in a new way of living when you go through that experience. And so Paul tells us how we can live this life that we have now been given. And he, he breaks it down into Three simple components. The first thing that he talks about is a knowledge that uh, you must have and understand about what has transpired. And he tells us uh, what has transpired. We were buried with him in baptism. We died to an old way of life. 
when we were buried in baptism, when we went into that watery grave, we died to one way of life. And then when we rose up, we rose up in the Spirit and we rose up in a new way of life. And that word know is significant because this is salvation from God's perspective. This is how God looks at you now as his child. You were buried with him in baptism. And just like he died and rose again, you die in a spiritual sense, but you rise in a new way of life. Now, Christian living, living an overcoming life, and living a victorious life depends on knowledge. I have to know what happened to me. I don't need to feel it. I don't need to sense it. I need to know what happened to me. And so Paul is telling us what happened to us. He said, this is what you know. You don't have to guess it. You don't have to feel good about it. This is what I'm telling you. This is what happened to you. You died to one way of life and you rose to a new way of life. You were buried in baptism and you rose to walk in a newness of life. And because you were buried and you died, what did you die to? You died to an old way of living. You died to an old nature. You died to sin. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. Sin doesn't have control over you. This now, you have to understand, this is from God's perspective. This is what God's saying you should know happened to you when you were born again. These things transpired. You died and you rose again. And that knowledge is essential. We must have a knowledge of what happened to us at the new birth experience if we're going to enjoy the beauty and he teaches he said you died you were buried but i'm still living i'm still alive i mean they didn't they they didn't leave me in 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 that baptistry when they baptized me physically i came up but i died to something in that watery grave i died to something when i went down on my knees in repentance i died to an old way of living and an old way of thinking. I'm dead in a realm that you cannot see naturally. Everybody with me so far? That's what happens when I'm born again. He tells us how to become somebody. What I was, what I did, what I owed to sin, to habits, to control, to dominion, is now broken, and it's broken by death. Death cancels all debt. Whatever you owe to sin, when you went down in that watery grave, when you were born again of the water and of the Spirit, you died a death, and you died to the debt of that old life. You know, it's just like when one of your, you know, when my mother passed away. You know, the bill collectors, they called, want to know why a bill wasn't paid. She's dead. She's free from that. She doesn't have to pay that anymore. And so when I, when a person is born again, this is what God said. This is, you, I'm not telling you, you feel this. This is what you have to know happened to you. You died And there was a debt that was canceled. This is what I did for you when I went through that death, burial, and resurrection. When I went through all of that, I did that so that you, in turn, could experience that spiritually. And that you could go through this process and you would die to the debt that you owed to sin. And now you... That sin doesn't have dominion over. It doesn't have a power. It doesn't have the influence. Our being saved is not just a legal matter, but it is now a relationship matter. He said, I am in Christ. So whatever happened to him happens to me. He died, I died. He rose, I rose. He was victorious over death, hell, 
and the grave. And so I too should be and I am according to what he did when I am, when I experience that new birth experience, that is what happens to me. I am born anew, buried with him. We're dead to sin so that we can live to a newness of life. As a believer, I have a new relationship with sin. And that new relationship is I'm dead to it. Now, this is, this is knowledge speaking, all right? This is God saying, this is what I accomplished in your life. You are dead. It doesn't control you. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't have dominion over you. The nature is still there, but you are loosed from its hold. You understand that? The nature is still within you. You still have a sinful nature in you, but it does not have control. It was broken when you went through that new birth experience. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's not how I've seen people live. That's, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm talking about how God sees this. This is how God sees the salvation process in our life. This is what He accomplished. This is not a feeling, it's a fact. Everybody say it's a fact. If you are born again, this is what happened to you. If you have experienced, if you repented of your sins and you've been baptized in His name, which is the only way anybody was ever baptized in New Testament Scripture. You'll not, I'll eat this Bible if anybody can find me anywhere. Anybody in the New Testament church was baptized any other way than in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't happen. That's why we do it that way. You say, well, it's not a big deal. Well, it is to me. Because if he did it that way, that's the way I'm going to do it. But anyway, baptism. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You, you're filled with the Spirit of, the, of God. And all of that experience happens. You, in that process of, of all of that taking place, this is what happened. You died to an old way of life. You rose to a new way of life. You died to a dominion of habits and sin and evil and wickedness. And you rose under the influence of a new spirit that was going to lead you into a new kind of life and a new way of living. And in Jesus, we died of sin and the old nature is crucified with him. And now the old nature is rendered inoperative. It is rendered ineffective. It is rendered loosed. The dominion of sin has been broken on our lives that we should not serve sin. And now, he said, we are alive unto him. We rise to walk in a newness of life. We are now inspired by a new spirit. We're inspired. We're raised to walk in a newness of life. We share with his life. That's God saying, this is how God looks at the salvation process. All right? Are you still with me? I ain't lost anybody, I hope. The problem comes... When we try to translate all of that into our own human mind and our own human thinking. Now the big question is, I believe the facts, Brother Hughes. I, I, I believe what you're saying, that I'm, I died, I was buried, I rose. I, I, I believe that. I, I believe the facts. But how do I make this work in my life and in my experience on a daily basis? How... Do I make this thing work like God says it ought to work? And so that leads me to the second thing that Paul talks about. And that's found in verse number 11. And this is what I've been wrestling with for weeks. Paul said in verse number 11 of that uh, sixth chapter. And, and I want you to read it with me. He said, likewise. Now the word likewise is referencing something already been mentioned and talked about. He's talking, going back to the first ten verses of what God, through the Word, has said, this is how you look from God's perspective. This is how you look from, from God's view. And now, likewise, 
Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And this is what I have found to be the sticking point for a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people come through the process of repentance and baptism and they not last very long. And I know you probably have too. Nothing really changes about their life. They go back and they keep doing the same old things. And I, you're thinking, well, brother, Hughes, I thought they prayed through. I thought they, uh, they, they, they received the Holy Ghost. I, I thought this. And I, I've always wondered, God, what is the mystery behind? You're telling me that this is what happened to the person. And yet they're not living like they're that kind of person. And this is what I found to be the sticking point. He said, likewise, you reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. This is how you look to yourself. Now, we talked about how how this all looks to God. When God fills somebody, when God brings a person through that process of the new birth experience we the first 10 verses describe how god looks at that and how god views that but now he's talking about how we view what has happened to us now it doesn't matter how much you know if you don't live that knowledge that knowledge is of no value It's like me writing you a check for a million dollars. That check is worthless until you endorse it. You put your John Henry on it and you take it to the bank. And when you do that, you have reckoned it. You see, I have put myself on the line by saying, I'm going to let you have a million dollars. And that's what God did for us when He did the salvation thing in our life. He signed a check. He said, this is what I want to give you. This is what I want to do for you. This is what the new birth experience is all about. Now, you have to go cash that check and you have to start experiencing the joy of enjoying the check. And until you put your John Henry on it, it doesn't matter what God says about what happened to you. Because your mind is still messed up. And that's what the word reckon really means. It means think. He said, likewise, now you have to start thinking about yourself in the way God has said you are. You have to start reckoning yourself. You have to start thinking about your life in a different way than you were thinking about it before. And you have to get your mind in accordance with what God has already said has happened. And until you do that, you will never be free from sinful habits. You will keep repeating the same mistakes. There has to come a point in your life where you reckon, you think, you consider, you take into account, you calculate, you estimate, and you take all of that into your mind and you say, you know what, that's what God said I am. That's what I'm going to live. That's how I'm going to live. And that's what I'm going to do. Anybody still with me? It simply means that you put what God has said and what God has done, you put it to your account. You take that check that he signed and you endorse it and you put it in the bank. You take into account the fact that you are now dead to sin. That means sin doesn't have dominion. doesn't mean sin is eliminated. Listen to me. It doesn't mean that sin is eliminated. It means that sin no longer has dominion and you have to start thinking like that. You know what? You're not going to control me. That old habit, you're not going to control me. That old thinking, that's not going to control me. That old feeling, that's not going to control me. I am not that person that I was because I have been born again. And this is what God says I am. So I'm going to start living like God says I am. That's what reckoning is. 
It's reconciling the books. It's an accounting term. In accounting, when they reconcile the books, they don't eliminate debt. They just move it to the right column. And when you move it to the right column, it eliminates it. Or it nullifies it. And so you can't go back. You, you know, when you went down in that water and you came up, you didn't eliminate all of those things. They weren't forever taken off, off of your mind's record. They were expunged from his record. But we still remember. You can't undo any of that. Neither can I. But when you reconcile it, when you reckon it to be dead, you move it from one column to another, and over here it had dominion, over here it controlled you, over here it had power. When you move it to the other side, it has no power over you. It has no authority over you. It has no, it doesn't have anything to control you with any longer. It's dead to you. And you're dead to it. Amen. Think of yourselves, he says, as no longer held by that old nature. Think of yourselves as being dead in that area. I'm dead in that area. Stop letting sin or sinful habits control your life. How do I do that? By reckoning. Amen. Everybody say reckoning. You see, reckoning is how you look at yourself. That other part's how God looks at you. But reckoning is how you look at yourself. And I'm here to tell you that God can save you from hell. And if you don't reckon yourself, you'll go back to hell. Because it won't be long until all those habits, all that thinking, all that nature will begin to show itself again. And so Paul said you have to reckon. How do you think about what happened to you? When you reckon it, you reconcile it. You move it to the right column. It no longer can hurt you. It simply means that you believe what God says about you is true. And you act on that in faith to live your life by this new doctrine, by this new dictate that I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer bound by sin. The fact is that no matter what the facts say, if I don't order my life by those facts, I am simply living a fruitless life. Amen. It means to believe what God says about you is true. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about this for? Because I've seen a lot of people receive the Holy Ghost and, and just disappear. And you think, well, I... I heard them. I know it was real. I was there. I saw it. I experienced that with them. I, there's, this wasn't a, a fluke. This wasn't a, 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 a wishful thing. It happened. Now, what's wrong? Did God's work, was God's work not good enough? Oh, no. God's work is sufficient. It's what we do with God's work in our life that usually winds up causing us trouble. And the reason a lot of people still struggle with some of the old habits is because they have never reckoned. They have never started thinking about themselves in a different light. They still think about themselves as being a victim. They still think about themselves as being an addict. They still think about themselves as being an alcoholic. They still think about themselves as being a whoremonger or a liar or a thief or a cheat. That's how they, st and as long as you keep thinking like that, you will be controlled by that. It's when you start reckoning, when you start thinking, and you start acting like the Lord says you are, that that power is broken in your life. You quit thinking in that manner. Amen. You don't feel it, and you don't even have to understand it. You just act upon it. And in acting on it, you live like you are designed and destined to live. The fact is... No matter what the facts say. If you don't order your life by those facts. If you don't reckon yourself dead. It won't be long until that old nature will start creeping back up in your life. And sin 
will take dominion again. Amen. Amen. And you'll be back worse than the first. That's why there's a reckoning that has to take place. There's, there's something that has to take place in our mind, in our thinking, in our, in our internal being. That we see ourselves as God sees us. That we have been broken free. We have been loosed from that old life. And we reckon it. Reckoning is not claiming a promise, but acting on it. Reckoning is living like Jesus said, I should live. I'm dead to sin. That means it doesn't have control over me. I'm dead to that old habit. It doesn't have control over me. I'm dead to those old feelings. They don't control. They're not going to control my life. When you think of yourself as dead to something, then you are no longer vulnerable to that thing. Anybody here ticklish? Anybody ever really, really ticklish? You know, in my own life, I've experienced, I've been held down. And I, they, people, kids used to hold me down, relatives, and tickle me until I would laugh, until I would lose my breath. And they just get the biggest kick out of it. You know, I'm, I'm dying. Swimming. Anybody ever been held underwater swimming? I was always a bad swimmer. And everybody I ever went swimming with when I was a kid, they thought it was, it was Dunk Hughes time. And they, I had a couple of, of buddies that they just enjoyed holding me underwater. And, and it terrified me. I panicked. I'd fight. And I, I'd almost drown just trying to fight away from them. And they would get the biggest kick out of it. They'd just have a hoot of a time. And every time we'd go swimming, some point along the way, somebody's going to jump in and pull me under and hold me in or get up on top of me so I couldn't get up. One big old galoot named Kenny Frazier. He was about six foot three, weighed about 250 pounds. I was 135 pounds dripping wet. And he would get on top of me. I couldn't get up to save my life. And I'd, it'd make me so mad I'd want to kill him. But somewhere along the way, I got tired of that. And somewhere along the way, I can't even tell you when it happened, but... I changed the way I started thinking about that. And I quit reacting the way they were wanting me to react. And when I quit reacting the way they wanted me to react, they quit holding me underwater. If you want to break the hold of a habit in your life, quit reacting to that habit. And the devil will find out that it ain't no fun anymore. Pardon my crude English. Your flesh will find it. It's not working anymore. And it'll go. Reckoning is not just a promise. It's a fact. It's living on the fact. And when you think of yourself as dead to something, then you're no longer vulnerable to that thing. You're no longer panic-stricken. If you think of yourself differently, you will live differently. Amen. He didn't say you wouldn't have any sin. He just said sin's not going to have you. He's not going to control you. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Quit defining yourself by those things. I wish I could say this to all of our Acts participants. Don't define yourself by what you did. And don't allow, if, if you come through that process of, of, of the new birth experience, don't define yourself as what you were. I'm an alcoholic. I'm just a drug addict. I'm a sinner. As long as you do that, you're under the control of that. It's when you start thinking differently. I'm a child of God. I have been born again of the water and of the spirit. There is new life in me. That old life doesn't have any authority in my life anymore. And then you start acting like that and you start living like that. That's how simple it is. Amen. Now maybe I'm telling the choir this for some reason, but 
somewhere along the line, you're going to have to help somebody understand the process that they're going through in this thing called the new birth. Somewhere you got to help them understand that all that they experienced has got to be translated into a new way of thinking and looking at life and living life and viewing themselves. And you have to reckon yourself to be dead. You have to put it in the right column. You have to move it to the right place. And when you do, it loses its power over you. It loses its influence. It loses its control over you. When you reckon, you think yourself. The word is, is the, in the Greek, if I'm not mistaken, is the word that we get logic from. The word reckon comes from a Greek word that we get the word logic. It means reasoning, thinking this thing out, thinking like the Lord says you should think about yourself. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to that habit. I'm dead to those feelings. You say, Brother Hughes, I say that, but it doesn't change anything. Well, you keep saying it until your thinking changes, that I am dead to that, that it's not going to control me. I'm not going to let that have dominion over me any longer. I'm not going to let that have power and influence over my life. Reckon yourselves. Tell your flesh no. Tell your carnal flesh, no, you have to think like a free person. Amen. Let's stand together. He, he closed out the chapter, verse number 13, by talking about yielding. Yielding yourselves. Yielding yourselves to the Lord. Giving yourselves to Him. That's, that's the follow-up point of reckoning you know this is this is fact this is what happened to you he said know this that as many as were baptized into jesus christ were baptized into his death and he rose you rose know that know it don't question it know it know that if he came out you came out if sin didn't have any control, Jesus said before he went to Calvary, he said, Satan hath nothing in me. The literal says, Satan has found no place of identity in my life. He has found nowhere he can put his hand and say, I'm a part of that. He broke, he not only paid the price of sin, he broke the power of sin in in, in people's lives. That's what he did at Calvary. And that's what happens at the new birth experience. But until we reckon. Until we yield. We just live frustrated lives. Pray through backslide. Pray through backslide. Be hot. Be cold. Be up. Be down. It all goes back to the mind. You know. The prodigal son is a great illustration. The prodigal's mouth got him in the pig pen. But his mind got him back in the father's house. His mouth said, give me that portion that belongs to me. And that's what got him in trouble. But his mind, the Bible said he came to himself. The, Bible, the Greek says he changed his way of thinking. He changed the way he was looking at himself. This is not where I belong. This is not what I am. I'm a child of God. I belong in my father. Even if I'm a servant, I belong in my... He changed his thinking. And it was that change in his thinking that got him up on his feet and got him headed back to the Father's house. Oh God, help us to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Think differently. Amen. Thinking differently. Living differently. Thinking differently. Acting differently. Thinking differently. Being different. Praise God. Praise God. I'm free from sin. 
It doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm not going to fail at some point. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to do wrong again. But it means that has, it, that's not the controlling factor in my life anymore. I don't wake up in the morning afraid the devil's going to jump on me and choke me. Or drag me back into a cesspool of sin. I don't live like that. Because I have reckoned myself dead. I think differently. When I rise up in the morning, if there's a bad thought that comes to my mind, I drag that thought into the presence of God and say, God, this doesn't belong in my life. When I pass something and a, a, a feeling, a bad feeling comes over me, I drag that bad feelings into the presence of God and say, God, this doesn't belong in my life. I'm dead to this. This is what you helped me die to. This is what you did at Calvary for me. And I am going to live like you told me I could live. Reckon. Everybody say reckon. He reckoned himself dead to sin right there victory or defeat right there. between those two ears determines whether or not I'm going to live up to it or I'm going to live down to it it's not the power of positive thinking it's the simple fact that when Jesus did all that he did he accomplished a whole lot more than we ever have imagined he did. And he said, this is what happened. When I died, when I was buried, and when I rose, this is a fact. And if you go through that process of repentance, baptism, that same thing happens to you. You rise to walk in a newness of life. But somewhere along the way, I have to translate that into shoe leather. And I do that right here. Hey, good. I may have to do, I, I don't even know tonight if I've explained myself very well, but I'm trying to reckon some things because I want that hold broken over lives. I want some, I want a new way of thinking. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a pervert. I, I'm not this. I'm not that. I've been born again. I might was that, but I'm not that now. And I'm not going to define my present life by what I was. Because if I do, I'm still under the dominion of that old life. Born again. Whoo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why I'm excited about people being born again around here. That's why we promote that. That's why I want to be like Paul. I want to make that the number one message. Death, burial, resurrection. Because that's where life is. That's where hope is. That's where peace is in that new life. Reckon yourself dead. Amen. God bless you. Turn to somebody and say, reckon yourself dead. Praise God. Praise God. Reckon yourself dead. Amen.